Welcome to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Molly Watts. If you want to change your drinking habits and create a peaceful relationship with alcohol, you're in the right place. This podcast explores the strategies I used to overcome a lifetime of family alcohol abuse, more than 30 years of anxiety and worry about my own drinking, and what felt like an unbreakable daily drinking habit. Becoming an alcohol minimalist means removing excess alcohol from your life so it doesn't remove you from life. It means being able to take alcohol or leave it without feeling deprived. It means to live peacefully, being able to enjoy a glass of wine without feeling guilty and without needing to finish the bottle. With science on our side, we'll shatter your past patterns and eliminate your excuses. Changing your relationship with alcohol is possible. I'm here to help you do it. Let's start now. Well, hello and welcome or welcome back to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Molly Watts, coming to you from a very foggy Oregon this morning, looking uh, still gray out, but definitely fog all around me and sort of that eerie wintry feel. <laughs> I guess that makes sense since we're right here in the middle of January. How's your dryuary going? Mine is going great and uh, very happy to be working with a group of people in my proof positive group and things are just going. I, I'm really enjoying the, this is my second time doing dryuary now and it's so much different and so much better. I think even better than the first time, which I really liked the first time I did it. So um, anyhow, if you, whether or not you are taking part of dryuary, I hope you are looking at your relationship with alcohol and uh, sticking to those low risk limits and definitely here to help you do that. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Seth Gillahan, and I am so excited for this conversation. Seth is a licensed psychologist who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy, and he is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and got his doctorate there, and he also served on the staff there. He has his own private practice. He's written multiple books on mindfulness and CBT, which I will link in the show notes. And he also hosts the Think Act B podcast. And I just wanted to have him on because this conversation about CBT, what it is, understanding it, and really how it's very similar to what I talk about in terms of the results cycle. And I just want to share this type of work because it's so important and it really applies to everything that we talk about with changing the habit of drinking. And this conversation I loved. He also was kind enough to share his own journey with me in terms of alcohol. So that was a surprise, unexpected. And I think you're going to love hearing from him. Here is my conversation with Dr. Seth Gillahan. Good morning, Seth. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining me on the Alcohol Minimalist podcast. I really am excited to have this conversation because as I've shared with you via our, our communication and setting this up, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, as it's, as it's known, is really part and parcel to the work that I do um, in helping people change their drinking habits. But I think that CBT kind of can just the name. Well, anytime you apply the name therapy to something, I think it scares people. What do you, do you think that that's true? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a good and question, hello, Molly. Good morning, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to to seeing what we talk about this morning. Uh, yeah, for a lot of people, I think therapy can be a, a kind of daunting prospect and can trigger some anxiety. So, so yeah, maybe CBT is nice in a way, like KFC. You know, took the fried out of right. fried chicken, and right. maybe CBT takes the therapy out of out of CBT. But but I also like to bring therapy out of the office and just make it something or, or, or treat it like something that we can all benefit from just in our daily lives, even if we're not dealing with some major condition, but maybe just want to live better or you know, do more effective behaviors or reach our goals. I think it's great for all those things. Absolutely. And that's, I know that's part of the reason you've done the work that you do is just to, is really to make that more accessible for people and to help them understand. And that's one of the beauties of this work. And what I've always, what I really like took me a took me until midlife to understand the concepts of this work and to really understand how much power I had in my own brain to, to be able to direct my life, you know? And I think that that's true for a lot of people that they kind of live at the effect of their lives rather than understanding how much power they have in their own cognition and in their own behaviors to really create how they are feeling about their lives. Yeah, those are great points, Molly. I think we, I agree. We often live at the effect of our thoughts for one, not, mm-hmm. not, we don't realize it. So we have right. these incredibly powerful you know, mental apparatuses right. that you know, are, are directing our behavior and our emotions in one way or another for better or for worse. And a lot of the time, I mean, they really always the first step when I'm working with someone and with myself, Ian, you're dealing more effectively with our thoughts is to just recognize when we're having thoughts. I mean, it's pretty much all yeah, the time, right? But these stories, you know, that I'm sure you're so familiar with can just feel like observations of the truth. So I used to go through periods where I would, I would drink usually like pretty much always not in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. I w- wasn't drinking an incredible amount, but just like didn't have a healthy relationship with alcohol. Like it had to be a certain amount that I had to reach a certain feeling. And, and so I would, you know, I'd go through that phase and then I would stop drinking like, okay, I just shouldn't drink. And then I would go back to it. And I started recognizing some stories around that. Like, it's fine. Like I'm not an alcoholic. I just need to limit my drinking. So, you know, what would be great tonight is stop by the liquor store on the way home and get a bottle of wine. It's Friday night you know, have a glass, celebrate. And then I'll be back into that unhealthy cycle. Yeah. So I had to start to, to realize like, wait a minute, that's not, that's not necessarily a, a like, like news, you know, it's not like unbiased news I'm getting. That's someone's yeah. opinion, you know, on the op-ed page saying like, Hey buddy, you know, it'd be great. Right. And maybe it's true, but there are other opinions. And it turned out that, you know, like 10 times out of 10, that didn't lead me where I wanted it to. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Obviously you're, you're, it's, it is definitely preaching to the choir. And I think that just, as you said, the awareness becoming aware, I mean, our, our brains are going all the time and we're, we're often at the mercy of a lot of unconscious thinking, especially when we've developed habits around uh, a behavior, because that's what our, and I talk about that a lot. That's what our brains are designed to do. They're designed to take things and automate them so that we don't think about them anymore so that we can literally not have to, we can conserve energy and apply it to more important tasks at hand. So our brains don't like to, 
to delineate between habits that service and habits that don't service. They just think, oh, perfect. We've done this before. Let's do it again. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. Bringing the awareness to what we're to, to the fact that we can direct that and we can question those thoughts and we can, and learn from them and then change our behavior. Tell me, and I didn't realize that was, I'm so excited that you brought up your own drinking behaviors. That was awfully nice of you. That was, uh, <laughs> uh we didn't, uh, we didn't chat about that at all, but tell me about that. Did you have, did, have you, have you in the past turned towards alcohol? Because a lot of, obviously a lot of people that listen to this show are in the habit of turning and using alcohol as a way to relieve stress, anxiety, depression, and which I know is really, you know, at the heart of your work. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. You know, I actually just, um, I guess just past my, uh, five year anniversary when I stopped drinking Wow. and yeah. I, and I never thought I would, I would stop drinking because I always had this, you know, goes back to beliefs. I had this belief unless I'm an, you know, an alcoholic, whatever that means, right. Then, um, then I, I not only don't have to stop drinking, but sort of can't stop drinking. Like you mm -hmm. can't, you can't not drink. You're not an alcoholic, right? You know, it's sort of, sort of the, I mean, it's, it's in a weird kind of perverted way, the flip side of you can't drink, you're an alcoholic. Well, the opposite of that isn't you have to drink because you're not an alcoholic, but I think a lot of us sort of have that, that question, am I, an am I an alcoholic or am I not an alcoholic? I'm not. Okay. I guess I'll keep drinking. What I finally came to, to realize first alcohol just stopped agreeing with me. Like I would drink it and I, I, I kept up the habit for a long time past the point when it, it uh, really felt good to drink, but you know, I'd have that first drink and just like feel some indigestion and um, the hangovers got, you know, like I'd have like two drinks and not feel well the next day. Yeah. And so eventually I, I, I stopped, I thought sort of temporarily for health problem and our health reasons. And then after doing it for a while, I felt so incredibly free. Like I was free of that kind of constant sense of like, like have another one. Are you getting enough? Drink more. Are they going to serve alcohol? Are you going to have enough alcohol? Is it going to be awkward? Can you drink more than people realize you're drinking? Because I was really good at not mm -hmm. showing the signs of, mm -hmm. of how intoxicated I was. Um, and so, so yeah, I, it, it, it's just felt like a, like a huge gift since then, like waking up on new year's totally clear <laughs> starting a new year that way. I don't know. Um, you know, what, what, I don't know who all your listeners are and if, you know, if most of them lean toward abstinence or if they're those who do more moderated approach. So I'm not suggesting that my approach is for everyone, but I've just found it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't find that healthy balance. It just never, and, and that was again, habits, you yeah. know, eventually and, and, and awareness eventually I had to recognize what had been true for so long. Like ever since college, when I first started drinking, I'd never really had a healthy relationship with alcohol. Wow. So I decided that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, there are certain things I miss about it at times, but, but it's not the alcohol itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot of what I think we need to intentionally recreate as, mo as well as we can apart from alcohol, like the sort of ease that it provides to social situations or uh, the, the celebratory aspect of it or the kind of ritual yeah. that's yeah. involved. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
wow, that's a great, I'm so grateful for you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Mm. I definitely, um, we lean here towards um, sticking to low risk limits, but we also talk a lot about creating a peaceful relationship with alcohol and whatever that means for you. Um, and I always say for some people, that's going to mean being abstinent because that's just where you find the best peace. And um, for me, I personally am able to stick to low risk limits, which you know, gets very, can be very sciencey and technical, but it's, um, at the bot at the, at the root, um, it still is about not using, not turning to alcohol to try to change how I'm feeling. So there's a therapeutic limit in terms of what the benefits of alcohol, and it's very, very low. So it really means that at any point in time, I'm, I'm not drinking more than one to two drinks ever. And, you know, if, if people aren't ever comfortable with that, and it means including multiple alcohol-free days in a week or in my life. So it's, again, it's a very minimalist approach. It means just being, you know, and being mindful of it. And some people are just like you said, it's going to be more peaceful for them to just completely be abstinent because that's just the, that's where the freedom comes. And so either way works. <laughs> it's really just about, uh, finding and creating that peaceful relationship and sticking to the low risk limits. If you're going to include alcohol in your life, um, back to, back to cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> so, um, the reason that I really wanted to have you on the show is because you have done a lot of work you've done, you've written books and you've created a, a, a card deck that really, uh, helps people understand the basics of CBT and how to apply those techniques to your life and, you know, into, into really, and that's, I think what separates, I talk a lot about in my work, I, I call it the re the result cycle. And really that's just that your thoughts create your feelings that lead to your actions. And I know in CBT that it's more of a triangle. So it's kind of like, it goes around, it can create a loop kind of around and around, like your thoughts, create your feelings lead to your actions, which then come back up to your thoughts, go to your feelings, you know, kind of a, and yep. whereas mine's more linear. I, but I always do say that you can move back and forth across the line. Yours, your work is more triangular. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the way that cognitive behavioral therapy is set up when you work with people. I know that one of the things I read in from your work and really appreciated about it is it's very, it's goal oriented and it's time structured. So talk to me about how that works and how somebody is going to take the, the, this kind of conceptual idea of CBT and start applying it in their life on a, just on a, you know, day by day basis. Yeah. Great, great question. Cause that's really where the, where the helpfulness comes from is that it's very specific and it's very grounded in our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. So uh, an example might be if someone wants to, let's say, start exercising, then first it starts, it starts with a really clear goal. Mm -hmm. So I want to exercise more in 2022. I mean, right. When have nebulous, I reached that goal? Right? Nebulous, yeah. right? Like, I don't know when I've done it. I don't know when I've not done it. I might always sort of feel like I haven't quite done enough. But if I say my goal is to be able to run a 5K by the end of the year, and maybe I haven't really run much at all, then I can work backwards from there and put together a structured plan for what that's going to look like. Like, how much am I going to be running? How often? Uh, maybe it includes some um, like diet support around that. Whatever the, the targets are, whatever goals we've defined, we make them really specific and, um, and then break them down so that they're manageable. Like, what am I going to be doing this month? 
What am I going to be doing this week? What am I doing today? What's my goal for today? And any, we know when we've broken something down, broken a behavior down into small enough chunks, when it feels almost ridiculously easy to get started. Mm -hmm. Like the first step might seem like, well, that's not really anything. Like I'm just like finding my running shoes. Like that's not, well, what does that have to do with finding, with running a 5k? Everything, right? You, right. If you never find your shoes, you're never going to, yeah. never going to run, never going to get there. So um, yeah. So I think, you know, finding those, uh, if something seems too difficult, it's just because it's too big. Right. Uh, there, with one caveat, maybe it's just something we don't want to do. That's <laughs> going back to goal setting. It's important that the goals actually matter to us and are, are something that we've chosen, not something that we think we should do. Like, I guess I should run, but I hate running and I never stuck with it. So we choose something that we value and then um, and then move toward it as slowly and incrementally as possible or as necessary. It's okay to go faster if we can. And then celebrate you know, each win along the way. Any step in that direction toward our goal is, is progress. Yeah, that's really, okay. So I love that. I love the, the, I want to two things there, because I know in the book, I was really struck by the idea that in it, or I don't know if it's based for CBT always, but, um, one of the things that was in the book that your book was stuck out to me was the take action first, kind of like, so if I'm looking at my, my work, like I said, it's thoughts, feelings, actions, and actions is kind of the, you know, the thoughts lead to the feelings, feelings, is actions, but you can step in at any point. And I always say that you step in at any point. One of the things that I got from your stuff was that taking an action is often the easiest thing to do, right? It's like, you can kind of force yourself into action when you may not want to dive into all the thought work. You may not want to dive into the feeling work, but you can generally talk yourself into taking a small action, even if you don't feel like doing it right at the moment. Right. Yeah. And, and we, we often emphasize action because like you said, it's our feelings tend to change based on our actions, our thoughts change. Like maybe we have the thought, like, I'm going to hate this. And I mean, that's a, that's a prediction, you know, it might right. be true. It might not be true. And we could try to talk ourselves into it. Like, no, you're going to like it. But how do we know? Like we don't have any, you know, recent evidence, or maybe our most recent evidence was that it was a punishing experience. So, so we, we can kind of do a behavioral experiment. You know, you know, go for a short run, see if you hated it the whole time, or maybe you hated it less than you expected it to, or maybe you even enjoyed it. So I think, yeah, there's we can get so much leverage a lot of the time by starting with behavior. At the same time, if we do find that we keep bumping into resistance or uh, just uh, difficulty following through that we don't understand, then it can be really helpful to step back and ask, what am I telling myself? You know, maybe it, maybe it is these stories about this is going to be awful, or I'm just going to give up on this. So I start, mm-hmm. um, or I, I can't afford to take the time to do this. Uh, and we want to clear out those, you know, those types of thoughts if we can, but we, what we don't want to do is rely on our feelings and say, I'll, I'll, I, I'm going to start running, but when I feel like it, or when I feel motivated, what usually happens is motivation follows action and then it mm-hmm. can, it can lead to more action. But, uh, you know, we, we build motivation to go to the gym by going to the gym. We build motivation to you know, be uh, more social by being around people more. 
Right. It's all it's. And so that's, again, that's where the, you know, that's where your triangle kind of loops back around. It's like the action leads back up to the thought and, uh, and, and there, and then is connected to the feeling. And again, I, even though my, like I said, I kind of look at things in a more linear way on the work that I do, it's still, you can jump in at any way in any spot and understand kind of moving backwards or forwards, you know, what's happening in which direction. Right. So, uh, and I agree with you. A lot of people say, well, it, they don't even say it. It's just, you're, you're sort of unconscious to it. Like I just, I need the feeling to do this. I need to feel better about it before I do it. And it's like, I think in the book, it says, no, you don't no, Don't wait for the feeling you need to do it. And then the feeling will come, you know, and that is uh, so much a part of, of true habit change too. It's like, you have to separate if you start with the action. And I think that's a, a great thing to, to point out is like, I talk a lot about having a plan in place ahead of time, especially for people when they're meeting themselves where they're at, it's a very doable plan, not, you know, not a pie in the sky thing, not like, Oh, I've, I've been drinking three to four drinks every night. And now I'm just going to go completely cold Turkey. You know, this is it. I'm done drinking. <laughs> and so they just, they, they think, okay, this is the way to do it. It's just to stop everything right now. And they feel bad about writing a plan that is for three to four drinks because their brain's telling them, no, you shouldn't, that's too much. You know, even though it's been what they've been doing now that they've created this awareness, they're like, no, that's too much. I can't do that. But what I've found is that by meeting people where they're at, starting there, creating a plan, using that logical prefrontal cortex cognition to make the plan and not just turn to that emotional response in the moment, it starts training their brains to do it that way. Then we can get to a point where, okay, now instead of three to four, we're going to take that back to two. Now we're going to stick that down to one. Now let's take it to zero. Does that, does that seem, I mean, does that resonate with you in terms of how that, how that, how that's working for folks? You know, it's all in CBT, it's all data, you know, it's, so we test things out and for me that it didn't work. You know, I I kept trying to set those kinds of limits and that wasn't my relationship with alcohol, right? Alcohol, when it got in me, it just wanted more. It's like, Hey guys, come on in. Like, this is great. (laughs) You know, so I just couldn't open the gate. Um, So I, you know, I had years of data to support that. Whereas others, you know, might find exactly what you said. I'm like, not going to drink. I'm just going to slam the gate shut. But then like, Oh, you know, like it's my birthday and then go back on it and, and it's back and forth. So, yeah, I think, I mean that, I think in general, a gradual approach can definitely help. I think what's, what's, what gets tricky with addictive substances, including mm-hmm. things like food and, and even relationships or sex or gambling yeah, is that there are parts of our brain that are not so much of our brain is not under our conscious control right? and our brains can get hijacked in ways that, uh, you know, are not, they don't lead us where we're trying to go. So, yeah, yeah. But, but, but in general, yeah, I think, you know, behavior change is, um, yeah, it, it tends to, to, as you were saying, to follow from our, or, or the emotion tends to follow from our, uh, from our behaviors, and if we're just waiting, then uh, maybe waiting a long time. <laughs> well, and that brings up something that I really loved about CBT and it's definitely in your book uh, is, is, I think was one of the things I wanted to talk with you about was the fact that there's a lot of what I like about it and appreciate it about the approach is 
there is definitely accountability put onto the the patient or the person who's, you know, not the therapist, but the person who's, who's experiencing CBT, right? So whether that's, so if we take it out of the therapeutic realm and just into a day-to-day life experiment, the onus is on you. <laughs> the onus is on the person that is, that is practicing these techniques to really, to use them and to change their lives. And so that's something that is, I think, missing in a lot, you know, we go through life and we go through this world. We're looking for, from a lot of external sources to fix us, to change it, to make things easier for us. And so talk to me about that in terms of the the premise of CBT, how important is it for self-accountability? Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, that's fundamental to CBT is that empowerment. Yeah, because the you know the ultimate goal is for each of us to be our own you know quote unquote therapist, right? That we're no one is in a better place, no one is in a place at all to uh, be responsible for our self care. That's really a uh, an ability and a privilege that each of us have to you know take care of this one person whose body we inhabit. So yeah, I think accountability and and you know we can we can find more leverage with accountability, you know, if we do things like, I mean, just making a list makes us a little more accountable to ourselves. Cause then we can see, you know, if we've uh, done the things on the list, but you know, having a, like a workout partner can be a helpful mm-hmm. thing to do or, or, you know, announcing our intentions. Mm-hmm. I think like uh, uh, whether it's, you know, a new resolution or uh, you know, a plan for um like ed- educational goal, I think mm-hmm. letting other people know it's really kind of an act of, of courage to put it out there. And then, you know, because so, we know that others will know if we've done what we had planned to. Right. Yeah, no. And I talk about that too, about, well, I mean, that's one of the values of finding a tribe, right. Is finding some, you know, group that are, that are supportive because especially when people are working on changing their relationship with alcohol, not everybody around them is going to likely be on the same path or the same, you know, and certainly not. um, uh, I I joke about it and say, you know, it's not like they're going to stop selling alcohol at the stores. They're not going to stop serving it at your, you know, events. This is not, this is, (laughs) you aren't going to, if you're looking around at the rest of the world, trying to support you in this journey, it's going to be, you're going to be hard pressed. You know, it has to be, uh, certainly come something that's coming from, from your own. And I guess I actually go back to something you said is not, not so much self-accountability, but self-empowerment. And I think that that's really, you know, something that I also want people to understand. And that's one of the reasons that I get a little bit unhappy with some of the, the substance abuse recovery programs and, and definitely uh, the people that lean towards um, abstinence and sobriety is the only way is it, it feels uh, as though they're disempowering to a person who believes that they cannot change their own relationship with alcohol. And I just don't subscribe to that at all. I think people can, you are obviously, like I said, <laughs> you would agree with that. I assume just because you were able to do it yourself as well. Right. And I know people who have, you know, a, a fine relationship with alcohol. Um, and, and it's really, it's up to each of us to decide if, and when, you know, we're going to change our drinking behavior. So I don't think it's helpful to try to pressure people into, you know, I had a, a friend who'd been in AA for a long time who, um, you know, I was describing to him like, you know, I'm years ago, um, 
I'm, you know, I, I don't, I'm not over drinking anymore. You know, I'm careful about, you know, like either measuring it or, you know, just having one glass or not drinking alone. Like I had all these rules around right. it. And, and he said like, oh, so, so basically white knuckling it. And I was like, huh. And at the, I mean, I, I, it felt like he was uh, suggesting that I'd be better off not drinking at all. But, you know, it was, it was a few years before I decided you know, to make that change on my own. So, so yeah, I think we could all, it's probably good for, you know, it's tough though. I have to say there are, it's easy, you know, if you've, if you've been dishonest with yourself for a long time and t- tell yourself like, no, it's fine. I can drink and it's uh, you know, not a problem in my life. And then when you, when you see what, what sounds like the same story in someone else, it's hard to to not, uh, you know, encourage them. Like maybe, right, right, maybe the right. question isn't like, do I like, am I, is my drinking bad enough that I need to stop? But, but it's, is alcohol a net positive in my yeah. life? For me, it wasn't. Yeah. 100% on this show. I talk about it in a very scientific way too. It's just, I mean, it is a drug. It is a known toxin. It is something that you have to, if you're going to include it in your life, it has to be with minimal risk and low and with absolute mindfulness. And there is no two ways about that. So for, for people that, and, but at the same time, I always want to encourage people who are drinking more than they should to drink less than they, than to drink less. And if it, if it's zero, great. And if it's not zero, then again, there's, there's gray room, there's gray area there. And if we don't meet people where they're at, then we can scare away too many. And so, um, yeah, anyways, right. I'm, I'm going off the, I'm going off page again. So I apologize. You keep bringing you, you've been, you've been so sweet about bringing those things up and it's just, it's such a, it's such a great conversation before we go, because I know I've, I've promised to try to keep you to a half hour. You're busy. Talk to me a little bit about the, the programs that, so you have your own podcast, it's called think act B, and then you've mm-hmm. got, um, a lot of tools for people to really incorporate these strategies, this, this cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, which is really, like I said, very close to what I talk about in terms of the think, feel, act of the result cycle, same theory, just, you know, I really believe that people should learn these skills because it's something that's going to, it's really applicable to life in general, just managing your mind and understanding the different parts of your brain and how they work together and so tell me how people can find you, learn more about this and, and really sum up what you want people to get out of, you know, CBT. I, I agree with the things that you're saying. And, and uh, so the best place to find me is my website, sethgillahan.com. You can find links to my books I've written there, which you mentioned, uh, card decks, which now I have the general CBT deck. There's one for, it's not called the general, it's called the CBT deck. I have one for kids and teens, which I, co- I co-wrote with my uh, now 11-year-old daughter, which was oh, fantastic. really fun to do. Yeah, yeah, she had, had uh, recovered from her own uh, long bouts with pretty severe anxiety. And, uh, and one for specific for anxiety, rumination, and worry. Uh, it's also meant for adults. Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. Every, links for everything else are there. Yeah. You know, this is one of those things that I really feel like 
we need to do a much better job teaching our children earlier and more often about the power of their own brains and directing yeah. and understanding how much power they have in creating the feelings that they want to, you know, that's one of the, yeah. the reasons that I'm so passionate about this is that we didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I never learned about it until I was in my middle age. When, when I was a kid, you know, we had this like circle wheel, like, are you feeling this way? And we, we kind of, you know, talk about it, but we, we typically like avoided a lot of understanding between our cognitions and our feelings. And that's something that to me was really missing. Just, I still, I could recognize a feeling, but I still felt like it was happening to me as opposed to, to understanding that many of the thoughts that I was having was actually creating the feeling. So it's, um, just so important and your work is so important to, getting this out to the mainstream and really having people. And what I appreciated most about your books, and I'm sure the deck is also reflective of that is just putting this in small bite-sized chunks that are easy to digest, easy to understand and easy to implement. And I think that's so important because it's, it should be, if it's not accessible and it's not easy, nobody's going to do it. I agree. Yeah. That's, that's certainly what I aim for. And I appreciate the conversation with you, Molly. Thank you for uh, an enjoyable time together. Absolutely, Seth. Thank you so much for being here. And I will link everything in the show notes, folks. Go check out all of Dr. Seth Gillahan's work and really use it in your own life. It's, a, it's just a great tool to have in your, in your deck of learning. If it's a deck, pick up the deck or, your, or the books. Um, a great tool to have to help you, whether it's changing your relationship with alcohol or really any habit that doesn't serve you. Thank you. All right. And thanks for everything you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Seth. Thank you for listening to the Alcohol Minimalist Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you change your drinking habits and to create a peaceful relationship with alcohol. Use something you learned in today's episode and apply it to your life this week. Transformation is possible. You have the power to change your relationship with alcohol now. For more information, please visit me at www.mollywatts.com.